good morning. I'm sorry I can't be with you this morning. Lisa and I are celebrating another Christmas. We get to be with her family this weekend, and uh, we don't always we don't get to see them very often. So we're enjoying the chance to see her mom and her brothers and their families again and, and celebrate with them. But uh, I I am so glad that you get to meet one of my friends this morning. Joe Bailey and I have been friends for a long time, uh, but our friendship has grown stronger and, and closer in these last few years because he and I are in a couple of groups together. Uh, we are in a, a covenant group of pastors who have served in their churches for longer than 20 years. We get together once a month or so and uh, we, we just have lunch and tell old stories and uh, have a lot of laughs and encourage one another along the way. Uh, Joe is a part of that group because he pastored in Spiegelville for many, many years and uh, d did a fantastic job there. Just recently retired. Matter of fact, he retired this year. And um, I'm really jealous that he has already gotten to retire. Um, but uh, I'm so much younger than he is. I have a few more years to go. But one of these days, uh, I'll be ready to, to learn from Joe how to live the retired life. But we also get together once a week with uh, pastors of all ages in this area on a Zoom meeting. And in that Zoom meeting, we get to kind of encourage one another again, pray for one another, check in, find out how everybody's doing. And so through those meetings, um, I have really gotten to know Joe uh, well, and I know that you are in great hands this morning. Joe is going to have a good word for you, and you're going to love his, his uh, gentle and kind and wise um, personality, his, his profound insight. You're going to love hearing from him. And so let me get out of the way and let Joe have the pulpit. Please welcome to the pulpit, Pastor Joe Bailey. Well, oh, thank you. And uh, John, thank you for those kind words. He's not still up there, is he? Is he? Okay. I didn't know if he was going to be looking over my shoulder uh, the entire service. Uh, but uh, uh, as John said, we, we, we've known each other for many years. I came first to the Waco Baptist Association back in 1988 and have been in the association since then. And, uh, and so since John has been here, I've known him. But as he said, the last several years, uh, we've grown closer through... Uh, through those covenant groups and, and this Zoom group. Uh, what he didn't tell you is that Zoom group, we meet once a week. It sort of has become a support group for us pastors, especially during COVID. Uh, we just kind of like, you know, what's going on? How are things going? And, and so it's been a good support group. And so John has been a, a great encourager, uh, not only to me, but a lot of other pastors in the area. Uh, and uh, I know you're, you're glad to have a pastor like uh, Dr. Crowder, Brother John, however you, however you call him, uh, and, and his family as well. And thanks to, to Kendall and the worship leaders uh, for leading us as we are, have been worshiping this morning. Uh, and thank you for being here. Uh, listen, I know this is the Christmas between, I mean, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year. And, and uh, you know, I've been a pastor for almost 40 years. And, and I, you know, you, we used to have high attendance Sundays. I don't know if y'all remember that. Uh, and there are certain Sundays of the year you would never have high attendance Sunday, like, you know, the Sunday after Thanksgiving or the Sunday after Easter or the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. 
But I want to applaud you for being here this morning. And for those that are not here, maybe you're traveling or you're away or can't come. Thank you for joining as well. So let me just say thank you for being here. You know, you probably knew or maybe you didn't know that some old retired preacher will be preaching this morning. And you could have had other choices, but you chose to be here. And I appreciate that very much. Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. My sermon title this morning is, Don't Overlook the Overlooked. And and I've been pondering, you know, what do you preach on this last day of 2023 between Christmas and New Year's? Do Do you sort of reflect back on the year and see how God has blessed or do you project forward into the new year and, 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 and see what God's going to be doing? And so I, I want to give a challenge this morning, however. And that's just this, the sermon title. Don't overlook the overlooked. Now, I don't know. Let me ask you this morning. When was the last time you got into an argument with someone? Uh, you, you had a dispute. Now, you may be looking at your watch and say, well, it was about an hour or so ago that you, you had that dispute. Uh, or you might be saying, you know, I've made it through 2023 without having an argument with anyone. Uh, but let me just tell you, there's still a few hours left in this year, so there's still a chance that might happen. Or maybe, maybe possibly you're, you're a Detroit Lion fan or an NFL referee. You've probably had a lot of discussions since last night as well. But you know when we have arguments and then... Maybe time goes by, maybe a month or two, maybe years go by. Sometimes we look back on those arguments that we had and we think, you know, that really wasn't that big of a deal. Or, you know, that really just all kind of worked itself out and and, and we don't have that problem anymore. Usually arguments are like that. Did did you ever hear the story about the small Baptist church in Mayfield County, Kentucky back in the 1890s? You may have heard the story. John might have told the story before. I, I first read this story in a book for one of my professors in seminary up in Fort Worth years ago, Doyle Young wrote a book entitled New Life for Your Church. And he talked about this church in Mayfield County, Kentucky. In fact, I was going over my notes this past week and I thought, I wonder if this is a true story. So yesterday, I got on the internet and I googled Mayfield County, Kentucky Baptist Church. And sure enough, this story was there. So you know, you can't put anything on the internet unless it's true. Uh, and and so, so I, I think there's some truth behind the story. But back in the 1890s in this church, there were two men in the church that were always at odds with each other. And one of the men decided that it would be a good thing to put a peg on the back wall of the church so that the visiting preacher could take his winter coat off and put it there before he preached. And about half the church said, you know, that makes sense. That, that just, it, it'd be in the back of the church, he can put his coat there, and that'd be a good thing to do. But there was another man in the church who said, no, we don't want to desecrate the sanctuary by putting a coat peg in the back of the church. And about the other half of the church sided with him. He thought, you know, that's right, we don't want to put a peg on the back of the church. And so this discussion went on for a while until finally the man who wanted the peg said, I'm just going to take care of this myself. And he put the peg up one Saturday night. And that Sunday morning, the, the, the preacher came and he said, hey, there's a peg for my jacket. Put his coat up there. Half the church came in and they thought, well, good. This is a good idea. It makes logical sense. But then the other man came and the other half of the church came and they saw that peg back there and they were furious. In fact, they were so mad that that man and half the church left at that time, never came back, started their own church. 
Now the story goes that to this day in Mayfield County, Kentucky, you can find people who are the pro-peg people and those who are the anti-peg people. In fact, you go to the church that started by the anti-peg people. We know arguments sometimes are like that. They seem so important at the moment, but when you look back on them, they're, they're really not that important. Well, in our text in Mark chapter 9, we see a group of people having an argument. And they're just not a normal group of people. In fact, they are the disciples of Jesus. And we read here that it's not a theological debate. They're not having a discussion about food or about travel. They're, they're not discussing about the new year. It's not even a discussion about politics or even the weather. But their argument is about greatness. Now, Jesus had just predicted his death. They're walking down a road following Jesus, probably pushing or shoving themselves to see who could be the first one behind Jesus. And so in that setting, Jesus gives an object lesson. He takes a little child. And the lesson really is about acceptance. So why does he use a child? Well, because child children were, were nobodies. They were the overlooked people in the world at that time. Well, if you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I read Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. They, and that's Jesus and the disciples, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and a servant of all. He took a little child whom he had and placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So, so Mark chapter 9 is one of the fascinating chapters in, in the Bible, certainly in the New Testament, certainly in the book of Mark. Uh, this, this chapter, chapter 9, is, is filled with some pretty exciting things, some great teachings about God, what God wants us to know. In fact, the beginning of this chapter in verse 2 begins with Jesus and Peter and James and John up on top of a mountain, probably Mount Nebo, which is about 12 miles north of Capernaum, close to the Sea of Galilee. And in that setting, we're told that Jesus was transfigured, or he was transformed. It's actually a, a difficult word for us to translate. It, it, it's a word that describes God's shining glory that was apparent on, on the body of Jesus. And then we're told at that moment, Moses and Elijah, they appeared there with Jesus. And then we're told that a cloud enveloped them and God spoke and God said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And then we're told it was over. And so soon Jesus and Peter, James and John, they walk down the mountain, they're joined with the other disciples and they're heading north to Capernaum. And it was at that time that this argument takes place. Now, in, in verses 14 through 29 of Mark chapter 9, we read about the disciples, their inability to heal a young boy who had an evil spirit. 
And then we come to our text about greatness. Well, I want us to look at this passage. Don't overlook the overlooked. And I want to use sort of as an outline, kind of the basic outline of any sermon. When, when you go to seminary, they, they teach you how to preach. And in and, and preaching 101, what, what they teach you is you need to explain the text, you need to illustrate the text, and then you need to apply the text. So, so I, I want to use those as sort of the outline of the sermon. I, I want to explain the text. There's an illustration that's used, and then Jesus applies this word as well. So, so first of all, sort of the setting or, or the explanation. So after the, the futility of the disciples to heal a young boy who had an evil spirit, after this transfiguration event, for the second time in Mark's gospel, Jesus predicts what's going to happen to him. If you look back at verse 31 of Mark chapter 9, Jesus said, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. And as usual, Jesus' words just went right over the heads of the disciples. They didn't hear it, didn't understand it, didn't comprehend it. We don't know. But, 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 but what follows is almost a divine comedy. Now, again, the implication is that they're walking behind Jesus as he's teaching. And, and probably one by one, they, they try to get up to the front of the line. They, they want to be the one who's the greatest to Jesus. And their question was, who will be the greatest, or who's going to be first in line? Now, unfortunately, this is not the only time we read where the disciples quarreled with one another. Back in Mark chapter 8, verse 16, they, 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 they were upset about who didn't bring the bread when Jesus taught the thousands of people and, and, and Jesus asked for food. And, and so their argument was, it wasn't my responsibility. Who, who didn't bring the food, the bread? Uh, they, 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 Again, in Mark 9, they argued with the teachers of the law because they couldn't, they, they, they failed to, to exercise this unclean spirit. Uh, later on in Mark chapter 14 in Bethany, there's a woman who will anoint Jesus' feet with, with perfume and, and they'll be upset, you know, why the waste of this perfume? In uh, Mark 14, towards the end of that chapter, verses 27 through 31, Jesus will talk about the disciples that would fall away from him and, and Peter said, no. I will never fall away. I'll never deny you. I will always follow you. So this is not the only time we read where the disciples had a disagreement amongst one another. Now, if this wasn't so sad, it would almost be funny to read this passage. In fact, there are a few commentators, not a lot, but there are a few commentators who claim this event that we just read in Mark chapter 9 didn't happen. That, that someone made it up or, or Mark made it up himself. And the reason why they say this didn't happen was because they say adults would never act this way. <laughs> that, that people would never act like this. Who's going to be the greatest? And when I, when I read that, I thought, seriously? Have you never pastored a church? <laughs> I had this saying when I was pastoring. I said, I don't mind it when five-year-olds act like five-year-olds. That's what they're supposed to do. What really upsets me is when adults act like five-year-olds. Then, then I get upset. You know, I, I don't like that. I'm going to take my toys. I'm going to leave. Or I'm, I won't t speak to you. Or, or that's it. I've had enough. Acting childish like that. I, I have a friend of mine who went to a church out of state to pastor. And it was there about six months. We talked regularly. And I finally asked him. I said, well, well how's it going at your church? Or at the church you're serving? And he said, well... He said, basically, I'm a nursery director. 
And I said, what do you mean? I said, you're the pastor. He said, hey, I know I'm the pastor. He said, but listen, I, I've got a church full of babies. And, and I'm, it's like I'm a, a, a nursery director with these children. And I said, I know, I, I feel it. And so there are some who say this could never have happened because adults never act this way. You know, I wish it would be true that, that, at a, that at a certain age in life, all quarrels, all disagreements, all arguments would go away. But the reality is that uh, we sometimes are more like these original disciples than we want to admit. And so here in this setting, Jesus walks in silence, literally on his way to his sacrificial death while his staggering disciples are pushing and shoving and asking the question, who is going to be the greatest? It's, it's a, a me first attitude. So in that setting, that explanation, Jesus makes an upside down statement. Let me begin at verse 35. Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So, you know, our world says only the strong survives. Or our world says there is greatness in power. But the paradox of the gospel is that the way of service and serving others is the way of Jesus himself, and it's the way to true greatness. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven... You've got to truly desire to serve others. But you know, the problem with that is, humanly speaking, that's not our natural inclination. In fact, that virtue is very unpopular in our world today. We want to be served. We don't want to serve others. So that's the explanation. That's the setting of our text. So secondly, there's this illustration. Mark tells us that now when Jesus in our text addresses his disciples, he doesn't do it out publicly, but he does it in a house. In fact, verse 33 said that they were in the house, which presumably was the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And then in verse 35, Mark tells us that they were sitting down. Now, those two words or phrases are kind of clue words, in the house and sitting down. Because in Mark's gospel, whenever Jesus wanted to say something that was serious, that he really wanted his disciples' attention, they were in a house and they were sitting down or they were reclining, listening to Jesus speak. I mean, it'd almost be like if, if, if he was texting, it would be like in all capital letters, screaming at you. This is important. You need to hear this. And so in that setting, Jesus talked about the greatness of serving others. And he gives an illustration. And it's a rather dramatic illustration. So look again in verse 36. Mark said that Jesus took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So the illustration Jesus uses was a little child. Now, you know, this is not the only time Jesus used a little child or children for illustration. In fact, if you go to the next chapter, Mark chapter 10, verse 13, there Mark tells us that people were bringing their children to Jesus. And again, the disciples were upset. They said, don't, don't, don't waste Jesus' time with all these children coming to him. 
In, in Mark chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms and he blessed them. So there in Mark chapter 10, Jesus uses a child, but uses them as an example. He says, you've got to become like a child, become dependent, uh, be someone who's always learning, one who's always trusting others. But in our text in Mark chapter 9, Jesus uses a child not as an example to follow, but as a symbol of those who were helpless in that society. So back in the first century world, a child had no rights whatsoever. That They were completely helpless. They, they were the nobodies of the society. There was no court system that looked after the welfare of children. There, there, there was no CPS. There were no agencies that advocated for the care of children. Yet in our text, Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these little children. Now the word welcome or the word receive, it means more than just to be concerned about. Jesus didn't say, okay, for the next 15 minutes, we're just going to think about the children, the, the nobodies in the world. Let's just ponder for the next 15 minutes and then do nothing about it. He didn't say that. He, he says, whoever welcomes or receives, it's a word that means to care for, to show kindness, to put action to your kindness. And that word little children or child is the same Aramaic word that's used for the word servant in verse 35. So I can imagine this was a very humbling picture for Jesus' disciples to see. Here they were quarreling about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus picks up a child and says, unless you welcome or receive the least or the lowest, you will never welcome me. Or don't overlook the overlooked. You know, if anything, we, we learn from this passage that, that God evaluates people differently than the way we evaluate people. We tend to look at such things as heritage or your family. You know, what family do you come from? Or your rank in society? Or your wealth or your position? But God looks at self-giving sacrifice. And here we're told that if, that if anyone wants to be first in God's eye, then they must become a slave to all. Because whoever puts himself or herself first will be last. And to be last in God or with God puts one's soul in jeopardy. David Garland, who was many years dean at Truett Seminary down at Baylor and re recently retired as a New Testament professor, commented on this passage. He made this statement. He said, Jesus uses the child as a symbol of the little ones who are little esteemed, who are needy, who are socially invisible and easily ignored, who can be hurt and dominated without anyone knowing or protesting. They are the untutored, the persons on the fringes, the ones whom no one misses when they're absent from their worship, the ones who are tolerated but not embraced in the fellowship. But the little ones are not insignificant in the eyes of the Lord. 
As there are no insignificant family members, so there is no insignificant member in a church. Or think about the most insignificant people you know or you know about in the world today. You know, the poor or the homeless, the minorities, the, the foreigners, the, the people who don't speak English, people who are homebound, those in a nursing home, those who are chronically ill, the, the unemployed, the uninsured, the people on welfare. Think of the most insignificant people. And Jesus says, if you want to be like me, then welcome them, serve them. If you want to be great, serve the least. So the explanation, you want to be first, it comes by serving. The, the illustration, a child, a, a nobody. <laughs> the last point, application. So, so, so how does this apply? So what's the point of this sit-down teaching that Jesus gives? Well, they look again at verse 35. Uh, Mark says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, and here's the point. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. And then down to verse 37, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So the application of the passage is from greatness to welcoming Christ to even welcoming God. And the end of this passage ends with, with another paradox. When his followers serve others without status, they receive Jesus and God, the God who sent him. And the greatest thing that they can do, according to our text, is to serve those who have been forgotten, who have been regarded as insignificant, those with no influence, no titles, no priority, no importance except to God. And if you think about it, I think this passage is really a picture of what the church should be. Don't overlook the nobodies. Don't overlook anyone. Or don't be the one that gets upset because there's a peg on the back wall of the church. Or you remember that passage in Matthew 25 where we read about the sheep and the goat? And in Matthew 25, verse 34, Jesus turns to those on the right and he said, you know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was sick. You came and visited me. I didn't have clothes. You gave me clothes. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And remember their response? Those on the right, they said, well, when? We never knew you were there, Lord. And Jesus said, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. I think that's the picture here in Mark chapter 9. Greatness in God's kingdom consists not in your position in the ministry, but it's from serving others, even the least of these. So an explanation, an illustration, and an application. Dr. Frank Pollard, for many years, the late Dr. Pollard, was, was pastor of First Baptist Church, Meridian, Mississippi. He, he retired there. And then came to Truett Seminary, in fact, and taught there for a while before he retired. But commenting on this passage of Scripture, he paraphrased Jesus' words by saying this. If, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all. And, and then Dr. Pollard went on to say this. He said, did you hear that? Jesus was saying, the world has lied to you. 
when it comes to greatness. And you believed the lie. So you've worked hard to make a name for yourself. You've worked hard to get this stuff together. You've done this to say, this is how I know I am worthy. This is how I know I am the greatest. But Jesus says, let, let me tell you the truth. The really great people are free. They don't have to prove anything. They don't have to display greatness. They don't have to serve. In fact, they're free to serve. Not only are they free to serve, but they're free to serve all people without distinction. Jesus said, I will make you so free that you will be free to be, be free at last and, and not to be first. I will make you so free that you can, in my name, love every person on the face of this earth and serve them without distinction. I want to make you that free, Jesus says. You know, several decades ago, it was, it was kind of in style to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Well, when it comes to everyone in the world, we know for sure what Jesus would do. It's serve them. And when it comes to the overlooked, Jesus never overlooked them. And I think there's at least two messages here. One is that maybe you right now think that you're not worthy to be a part of God's kingdom, that, that God certainly cannot love you. Know this. Jesus will never overlook the overlooked. He'll never overlook you. There's no one who's not worthy to be a part of God's family, God's kingdom. And then I think the other message is as disciples, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as Jesus taught his disciples in our text, we too must never overlook the overlooked. Your call, our, our call as Christians, is to care for everyone especially the insignificance. So what is your response to God's word? Did you think about a new year, 2024? How do you want to approach this new year, especially when it comes to serving others?